0: I was somehow already scheduled to preach today. And um, <laughs> this is the point when you're supposed to give the great like first sermon <laughs> as rector, right? Well, I had already decided this week I was going to reuse a sermon. And I'm still going to do that. Um, before I start, I just want to say, um, well, I'll say, I have many, 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 many things I want to say. What I want to say right now as I, before I preach is, News like this can bring up a whole flood of feelings, <laughs> a whole flood, and they do for me. Um, so I, I, I just want to normalize that, I guess. Say, Lord, we've been through a ton. It's normal for it to be many, many feelings, many, many experiences that we've had. Those are welcome here. And Lord, we invite you to speak in the midst of them, however you see fit. So, as I said, I am, um, I have tweaked a sermon a bit, um, because frankly, my brain wasn't working very well this week. But I think, I think actually it's a, well, you, you be the judge, but. All right. He came out of nowhere, this man called Jesus. Nowhere'sville, Nazareth, nowhere. One minute. I was sweating out on the lake with my brother, hauling in the fish. And the next, he's just there on the shore, staring at us, looking like he'd been wandering out in the desert a while. But then he looked at us, and he said, follow me. And we did. It was like in that one moment, my entire world shifted, so it revolved around him now, like a magnet or something. And Andrew and me, we just left everything behind and followed. It has been pretty wild since then, let me tell you. This guy's exciting. He could teach the pants off any rabbi in town. They didn't like that very much. That was wild. But then let's talk about the healing. We're talking demons shrieking and throwing people around, crazy folks suddenly in the synagogue in their right minds, lepers and blind men and people who were dead flat out cured. Now, he could have done a lot more with that healing thing, let me tell you. You know, little cash, little fame. I told him so. But he just smiled and shook his head. He did that a lot when I was talking. <laughs> so anyway, it was a wild ride and I got to tell you, sometimes I really questioned his judgment when it came to meal times. Now, I'm no shrinking violet, but some of the folks we ate with were pretty rough. The kind of folks that don't come into these nice church spaces with y'all. I grew up hearing these people were unclean, so stay away from them because they'll make you unclean, but Jesus didn't care. He had this knack of making those folks feel perfectly loved and perfectly accepted and yet totally challenged to change their lives around. I don't know how he did it. I think they met him and they discovered that, like me, all of a sudden their whole world shifted on its axis and now revolves around him. So after a little while of traveling around with Jesus, we were getting pretty excited. You know, you grow up in synagogue. You hear about Yahweh's plan for Israel to finally restore us to our place in the world. And we were ready for a bit of our old glory, let me tell you. Then there's this guy who seems like he's the one. He's the one. He doesn't just say stuff. He does stuff with power, just like we heard about in the prophets. I was excited, let me tell you. And I thought maybe I was finally going to be one of the cool kids, you know, not just a Galilean who sank of fish guts. And Jesus and I were close. So, you know, I was kind of hoping to be one of his guys once he became king. Yeah. But every time we kind of hinted at that, Jesus would smile and shake his head and say something like, yeah, you guys just don't get it. Do you? I remember one time like that in particular. We were on the road and he asked us what people were saying about him. And we knew that answer. They say you're a prophet, like Elijah or John the Baptist. And then he asked who we said he was. And for once, I had the right answer. You are the Messiah. And Jesus said, yes, good job. That felt good. And then I blew it again. I thought he'd tell us more about the plan. Give us the plan, Jesus. How are we going to get to victory? But his plan was he was going to suffer, be rejected, be killed, and then rise again. Jesus, this is not a good plan. So I told him that, you know, on the side, didn't want to shame him. Maybe he just needs some coaching on being a Messiah. And he flipped out on me. He kept talking about the cross, that we'd save our lives through losing them. And it just made no sense. And frankly, I was hurt that he got mad at me. Well, then he said something I liked a little bit better. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death, good, before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Now that's more like it. Bring on the glory. Little did I know. Six days later, Jesus got me and Jimmy and John and took us with him on a field trip. Man, the others were jealous later, I gotta tell you. He took us up this mountain with no explanation, just another time when I knew we needed to follow. It was a nice day, why not? Well, I could never have imagined what came next. One minute, I was joking with John that we were gonna sacrifice him like Isaac, so he better keep his eyes open for a ram. The next minute, this enormous light hits us, bam! I thought maybe my brain had exploded, or the sun had crashed into the earth, and then I realized it was Jesus. This bright white light was coming out of him, as if he was made out of it, and his skin could no longer hold it in. His clothes had been all dirty from the climb, you know, but all of a sudden they were this impossible white, a color I had never seen before or since. They didn't have washing machines back then, guys. Was I going crazy? And then also, I suddenly saw two people there I knew had not been there before. They weren't shining like he was. It was like I could only see them because of this light that was coming from him, like I saw them in the reflection of his light. And it was Elijah and Moses. I don't even know how we knew that, but we did. And when I saw Jimmy and John staring at them, too, I knew it wasn't all in my head. Elijah and Moses, two of the greats there, just talking with Jesus, and him just talking with them. Like, no big deal. It's Moses and Elijah. Okay, I wasn't thinking real clearly, but I do remember having this kind of gut-level thought. I think this is glory. Glory is good. Let's go with this. So. As I always did when I didn't know what to say, I said the first thing that came to mind. Lord, it's good we're here. Put us to work. We got muscles from our fishing. We'll be good hosts. We'll build tents for you and Moses and Elijah so they can stick around a while for whatever this is. Well, all of a sudden we went from blazing light to being smack dab in the middle of a sudden, massive, and equally bright cloud. How can a cloud be bright and dark at the same time? And the cloud had this voice that surrounded us. And it felt like our whole bodies, like it was going straight through us, resonating with it. And we heard, this is my son, the beloved one. Listen to him. And we fell flat on our faces in the dirt. I don't know how long we stayed there on the ground. It was like time had just stopped. And then I felt this gentle touch just here on my shoulder. And Jesus was kneeling next to me, the Jesus that I knew. And I just looked in his face, his normal, non-shining face, and he said, get up. Don't be afraid. So the three of us sat up, just sitting there on the ground. We looked around for a while, just trying to stop shaking. We were alone again, and the sun was shining, normal. I remember a lizard poked its head up and scurried out. I don't know why I remember, but the lizard was there. And we just stared at Jesus. What was that? He didn't give us an explanation. He just sat there with us. And when we got up to go back down the mountain, he told us not to tell anybody about it until he had risen from the dead. Typical Jesus. We walked back in silence, and Jimmy and John and I had no idea what that was or what it meant. Now, of course, we know. And I've had a lot of time to think about that day, let me tell you. As I look back, I've learned a few things I'd like to share with you as someone who got to be an eyewitness of His Majesty a few things I think might resonate with you too. First, as I look back, I realized that I only wanted part of Jesus, the part that felt good, the glory power part, Jesus, the shining success. I thought that's what a real Messiah was, a king to fight for us, make us great again. Healing, worship, love, that's all well and good, but power, that's tempting. In fact, right after that glory moment, the 12 of us friends started arguing about who would be the greatest one in Jesus's kingdom. Now, Jimmy and John and I were pretty sure it would be us because we got to be up on the mountain with Jesus. But anyway, I was all in it for the glory. I was clueless about the cross. Because to me, those two things were miles apart. But when the voice on the mountain said, listen to him, that was Yahweh saying, Your job is not to make new tabernacles to hold on to the glory. Listen to what Jesus actually tells you about who he is. Because Jesus defines what Messiah looks like, not the other way around. And he's telling you that the glory and the cross are both who he is. All that stuff Jesus had been teaching us that we didn't understand, that I told him, stop saying that. The voice steps in and says, that, listen to that. The glory and the cross are not opposites somehow. They are joined in Jesus. That's the full Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus I hadn't yet seen. Now, since then, I've met lots of people who are like me and really only want to embrace part of Jesus. You might have met some of these folks, too. Some like Jesus the teacher, not Jesus the Savior, or the other way around. Some like the Jesus who calls people whitewashed sepulchres, but not the Jesus who won't snuff out a flickering wick or crush a bruised reed. Some likes the Jesus who dies for sins, but not the Jesus who challenges oppression or, again, the other way around. And I have met lots of people who, like me, want to skip over the suffering. I'll follow you, Jesus, but only if it's not too hard, not if it touches my money, Not if it challenges my desires. Not if it means I've got to endure the same kind of stuff you did. Well, take a page from me. If you don't live the suffering, you don't know the glory. There is no better way than the way of the cross. Well, at the same time, I've also met people who are so focused on suffering, their own or that in the world, that they can't believe in the glory. In real resurrection now, and full restoration to come. If the truth of suffering is more real to us than the truth of glory, we still don't know the full Jesus, because Jesus is grace and truth, death and resurrection, suffering and glory. If we only know part of Jesus, we only know part of God. For as Paul put it, yeah, I quote Paul too, the glory of God is displayed in the face of Christ. We don't know what glory is without the cross of Jesus the Christ. A second thing I've learned as I look back is that sometimes we hear God not in the light, but in the clouds. We all want the glory, or at least we think we do, but just read your scriptures, especially the first part, guys, the big part, the guys you like, you guys neglect this sometimes. But Jesus read those scriptures, and so did I. Anyway. Anyway. In those scriptures, God is often found in the darkness, not just that blaze of glory or the light of day. I got to see the glory, and just seeing the glory, I still got it wrong. It took the voice in the cloud to truly show me Jesus. Some of you here in this community, I think, might feel like you've been immersed in that dark cloud. When you're in the cloud, let me tell you, sometimes you don't know which way is up and which way is down and where in the world you are and where anyone else is, and you can't see Jesus. Well, I'm here to tell you, in the clouds and the fog and the darkness, God still speaks who you are and who Jesus is. Just keep listening. The last thing I've learned as I reflect back on that crazy day is that that taste of glory was God's gift to us. It was a grace for what was to come. And it was a grace for Jesus, too, I think. Even now, as I look back, that experience on the mountain sustains me still, along with the resurrection and the ascension and Pentecost and all those other things I lived through that you all know and love. But that moment on the mountain was special to me, and I'll tell you why. As I look back, I realize Yahweh was not being subtle. There were all sorts of clues about what was really going on. We were up on the mountain. Um, hello, Sinai, mountain. Just read Exodus in your bulletin thing. Mountain, six days, cloud, uh-huh. Moses, every Jew knows God had promised to send another prophet like Moses, and we were to listen to him. Elijah, the prophet who would return before God's kingdom would come. Even these crazy white clothes on Jesus. Look up Daniel 7, when the ancient of days takes the throne and his garments are white as snow as he sits to judge the nations. This is Psalm 2, Jesus. In that one moment, it was as if all the prophecies from the scriptures came together, like a reverse prism, gathering up all the colors and focusing focusing them on Jesus in a single beam. Jesus as he will be when he comes to judge the living and the dead. We saw the past, present, and future all at once. That vision of Jesus' true identity, the victory on the other side of defeat, that sustained him through the dark days ahead. He heard the voice of the Father affirming who he was, just like at the baptism. That gave him the strength, "'You are my Son, the Beloved.'" That gave him the strength to keep doing the will of the Father, even when everyone who supported him fell away. And we did. For Jimmy and John and me, that it didn't give us the faith it might have at the time if we'd really understood. But now, I don't know what we would do without it. Because life is hard for us followers of Jesus, you know? I watch my people being tortured and killed and kicked out by family members. And well, we have all lost a lot in following Jesus. It is hard when you realize you can't both follow Jesus and go around the suffering. So when you feel trapped in that stuff, the suffering, the dying to self, maybe the actual dying, remember this Jesus, shining in glory, this Jesus that is to come. We've got to wrestle with the suffering. But we got to look at the glory, too. Keep that in mind as Lent starts this week for you all. Listen to the words of the suffering Son of Man, but also look to the glory of the victorious Son of God. Both are Jesus. Now, I'm a big church guy now, as you might have heard. I love the church, and I love your church. Last time I was with you all was 2018, for some of these words. 2018. You had purchased the building, this building. You hadn't renovated it yet. You were starting to dream about what came next. Now I'm going to read for you, word for word, what I said to you then, at the end of my letter to you. I said this. Church of the Redeemer, I can't help but wonder for you all How your journey to this place called Highwood will change you. I wonder whether you're prepared for some things to die so that the full Jesus can be known in your midst and in that community. I wonder whether you're prepared for some pain in the change as well as for the glory. I wonder whether you're prepared to welcome all the discomfort and growing pains of a new mission. I wonder if you're ready for the day the glory of a new space fades and the hard work begins. I wonder. But I am sure of this, that God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in your hearts and has given you the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ." In other words, even though you weren't there with me on that transfiguration day, to be blinded by the light and see that glory and hear that divine confirmation, even though you weren't there that day, you who have put your trust in him have that same light in you. You have the spirit of Jesus in you. Paul wrote many things even I don't understand, but this one about Jesus I get. You are being transformed into his image from glory to glory. When you don't understand, that's okay. Walk with Jesus anyway. After all, the world revolves around him now. That's what I wrote five years ago to you all. I know you couldn't have imagined what was to come, and me either. And you can't quite imagine what comes next. Seek the full Jesus. Listen to him his hard words, as well as the words you like, I can promise you both suffering and glory, and I know which one gets the final word. As I prayed for the church many, many years ago, so I pray for you. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. With much love, Peter.